When we last left off in our story, Solomon was king over Israel, and he had just spent seven years building the temple. Well, upon Solomon's death, there was this power vacuum, and there were various groups trying to take control of the country and get their favorite person up to be king, and what happened was the nation of Israel split in two. They split in two, and now we have the southern kingdom, which is made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Now, in the south is where you would have had Jerusalem, so it was the southern kingdom that would have had the temple, and the southern kingdom took the name Judah. The northern kingdom, where the other ten tribes, they retained the name Israel, but they then constructed a capital city called Samaria, where it's where all of their worship happened. The southern kingdom was fortunate enough to have at least a few kings that were at least trying to implement the Jewish traditions and faith. Everybody was being bombarded by foreign religions, and foreign religions were coming in, and we had a few kings in the south that were able to do some redemptive work and able to revive some of the religious practices. In the northern kingdom, no king was good. Every single king in the northern kingdom was considered evil in the eyes of the Lord, every one of them. There was a mishmash of foreign religions going on. They literally were a people without a spiritual rudder. During that time, the Lord lifted up prophets. And many of these prophets had the direct ear of the king and could go into the king's presence. And the prophets were saying, the king and the people, you got to put aside your evil ways. Come back to the Lord and worship only the Lord. The worst king in the northern Israel, in the northern kingdom known as Israel, was Ahab. And Ahab had a delightfully rotten wife named Jezebel. Just nasty, nasty woman. The major prophet during Ahab's reign was Elijah. Now, Elijah was not the only prophet. There were hundreds of prophets. But Elijah was the big guy who actually could talk directly to Ahab. At one point at the beginning of our story, Jezebel threatens Elijah's life, and so Elijah takes off. He runs away. And he starts out in the northern kingdom, and he runs all the way through the southern kingdom to the southern point of the southern kingdom, and then one day into the wilderness. And he sits under a tree, and he says, God, I've had enough. Take my life from me. I don't want to do this anymore. And then he lays down and he rests. He goes into the wilderness in search of God. A messenger of the Lord, an angel, wakes him up and says, okay, here, have something to eat. And he found a hot cake, and he found water, and he found that twice. So here in the wilderness, the Lord is providing for Elijah both nourishment and a safe place to rest. Because all of us know the importance of sleep to our emotional and our physical health, do we not? To the importance of strength. Elijah has had it. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's overwhelmed. He's depressed. And he feels as if he's the only one that's doing all this work. I think probably all of us can relate to those emotions in some way or another. Probably most of us have reached that point of exhaustion that we didn't even know existed. You could be that exhausted. 
And I think many of us have had times in our lives when we have been completely overwhelmed by our family, by our jobs, by schoolwork, by our jobs as parents, our jobs as children caring for aging parents, our jobs here at the church or our volunteer work. We just, we know what overwhelmed feels like, don't we? And I know that some of us struggle with depression today or maybe in the past. And probably all of us have had some time in our lives where even though we are surrounded by people who are trying to help, we still feel alone. And we feel like we are swimming upstream all by ourselves. Elijah is done. He is defeated. And I think most of us can relate to that, can't we? Can't we? He goes into the wilderness seeking God. You probably have a spot that you like to go to when you're looking for that conversation with Jesus. You probably have a spot where you go where where the conversation feels a little bit more intimate or, or a place where, okay, conversation in this spot has worked before, let's try again. When I was growing up, the first spot that I ever had that was me and Jesus' spot was Camp Sumatonga. It is a Methodist camp in the northern part of the state of Alabama. Our church would go there for family retreats. I went there on youth retreats. I spent one summer there at summer camp, and my family would go and just camp there because it was such a pretty spot to go to. And they had, they had an area where there was a lodge, you know, lots of wings with lots of rooms. And, and next to the lodge, there was this big open space, and on the far side was like a group pavilion picnic table type thing. And on the other side of that was the lake. And it was that lake that beckoned to me, that lake shore. There were some benches along there. And I knew if I sat on one of those benches, Jesus was going to show up and we were going to be able to talk about absolutely anything. Absolutely anything. Every emotion was fair game in those conversations. And as I grew up, whenever I would go to Camp Sumatonga, I would make a point to start at the lodge and walk all the way to that lake shore. It was like a pilgrimage for me because I knew when I got there, Jesus would be waiting. And we could sit and talk. Elijah had a de- destination in mind. He had a destination in mind. Initially, he receives nourishment, he receives a little rest, and then he starts walking. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked. Because of the tightness of our text, I think we lose perspective on just how far Elijah went. He walked for 40 days. So if he left today on November 5th, It would be December 15th before he got there. 40 days of walking. And the place where he was going was Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. This is the exact same place, we mentioned it several weeks ago, where Moses received those two stone tablets of the law that the Lord wrote with the Lord's own hand, the law on those two stone tablets. That happened at Mount Horeb. And it's also Mount Horeb where the cloud that represented the presence of the Lord descended upon that mountain whenever the Lord and Moses would have conversations with each other. Elijah was going to the very spot where he could be just about guaranteed to speak to the Lord face to face. He knew where he was going, and that's where he was headed. When he was... In the first day out, and the angel was tending to him, 
the angel said, the journey is too much for you. Or some translations, you have a difficult road ahead of you. Or another, the way is too great for you. Was the angel saying, this 40-day hike ahead of you is going to be too long and so you need to rest up? Or was the angel saying, this way of life as a prophet, this way of life that is exhausting you, this way into your future is too great? That 40-day hike up to Mount Horeb did absolutely nothing to change Elijah's mind or to lift his spirits. Because when he gets there, he has a conversation with the Lord, not once but twice, and he uses the exact same words. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I have stood up for you. I have argued on your behalf. I have warned them. I've warned them, and these stubborn, hard-headed people aren't listening. They're not listening to you. They're not listening to me. They're not paying attention to this covenant that we have. They're tearing down all of the holy places, and now they're killing off the prophets. They're killing us off. I'm the only one left, and they're coming after me. I have held up my end of the bargain, so now what? What do you want me to do now? God blessed Elijah with the presence of the Lord at that place. God heard Elijah's complaints, and God responded. To me, I sort of imagine it as Elijah went to the manager's office and said, I got this problem, what are you going to do about it? But I have to wonder, did Elijah go there hoping that God was going to say, oh, you've done such a great job, you've had a great run, you can go ahead and retire? Or did Elijah expect God to say, uh, 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 you got more work to do, but was Elijah hoping that God was going to intervene somehow? and maybe lift some of that weight off of his shoulders. God did say to Elijah, go back and start again. But I'm going to send you some help. I'm going to send you a helper, an apprentice, a co-worker, a friend, a successor in your ministry. God blessed Elijah with the gift of Elisha. Yesterday, a group of us met to do the second workshop of our dreams and goals for this church. We talked about the values and the dreams that we had talked about in the prior month, and we added to that our strengths and weaknesses, our gifts and weaknesses within the church, and then the opportunities and the roadblocks that are outside the church, the four of which work together on impacting our vision, the vision that God has given us for this church. And we, we talked about the demographics of the area, of the growth that's coming, the types of families that are moving in, the belief systems of the families moving in. We talked through all of that. And then we came up with three sort of rough-hewn goals that need to be a little bit tweaked and, and, and a little bit pulled apart. And what we came up with, the three areas of focus this church wants to have for the next five years, the first is caring for our community missions, outreach. The second is to focus on creating a thriving children's and youth ministry. And the third is to focus on creating a thriving small group ministry. 
We mean a, a men's ministry, a women's ministry, a prayer blanket ministry, a choir, supper clubs, Bible studies, whatever those may look like. And the team that was there yesterday decided, what, is, what am I passionate about? Where is my personal passion? And we assigned ourselves to one of the three areas. And these teams over the next five weeks are going to take this rough-hewn goal and craft a well-stated goal along with three to five, say, strategies of fulfilling that goal. Now, there are some of you that weren't here yesterday that are going to be tapped to be on one of those three. I already got Melanie in the parking lot. But if any of those three areas spark an interest in you that you are passionate about, and you say, you know what, I haven't been able to be to those workshops, but I'd like to contribute to this part of it, please come talk to me. <laughs> you know I'll put you to work. Right? The way we craft those goals and the way we achieve those goals are only going to happen if we work together in faith. We are entering a season in this church of learning our gifts and our talents. We are entering a season of raising up leadership within the church. We are continuing in a season of being in the power of the Holy Spirit to the work of God's kingdom in the love of Jesus Christ. But it starts by doing it together. I want to remind everyone that Seven Loaves East, the monthly food distribution that we do out of this property, started as a dream and a goal. It actually started with a conversation with James and Marilyn Rice over at Pizza Getty, in which they said to me, We've always wanted to have a bulk food pantry in Copeville. Copeville needs that. And I, of course, ignorantly said, well, sure, let's do that. Elijah needed a helper and a partner to do his work, to carry on. This small church was going to need partners and helpers for Seven Loaves East. We approached other churches in our areas. Some came on board as partners and others didn't. Well, then we needed to find, well, who's going to bring the food in? And we went to at least five different agencies. I was trying to think of how many. And some were on board and some really weren't. And it just took time. We need to keep in mind that Seven Loves East did not go from dream and goal to functioning on that first week in a straight shot. We had turns to the left, turns to the right. We went backwards, we went down, we went up and over. But we got there because we worked together to achieve it. Every goal and every strategy that this group is going to come up with is going to be doable in five years if we work together as each other's helpers, each other's apprentices, each other's co-workers, each other's successors to move this church forward. Amen? Amen. A lot is made of Elijah's counter, encounter of God there at Mount Horeb. If you read commentaries, you read articles, you go online and read stuff, everybody wants to talk about God was not in the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire. God was in the whisper. And therefore you have to look for God in the whisper. No, because God can be in anything God wants to be in. So I brought to you the one thing with a commentary I agreed with. We like to know what to expect. But when we stop expecting God in the seemingly obvious places, God exceeds 
our expectations. When we expect God to show up in a certain way in a certain place, we may miss it. And is that not the gospel message of Jesus Christ right there? The people were expecting the Messiah to be this, and Jesus was not this. God chose to reveal God's self in a humble child, born to a young, unmarried peasant girl. People expect a small Methodist church in this area of the county to either be ineffective or to die out altogether. But God revealed God's self here in this place in a miraculous and powerful way through the hearts of the people that are here and in the missions and the outreach that this church does. If we expect God to show up in a certain way when we're going to move forward, we might miss it. So here's what we're going to expect. We're going to expect God to exceed our expectations. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, Elijah found comfort in the sheer silence. It is in that silence where Elijah found the strength to go back and start over. It was in the silence where Elijah found a helper, partner, co-worker, friend, and successor in ministry. We may feel overwhelmed, exhausted, depressed, or left to our own devices. Elijah felt that way too. Just as Elijah found comfort and strength and rest and nourishment in the presence of the Lord in that sheer silence, we will also find nourishment and rest in the sheer silence, in the presence of the Lord. We will find comfort and strength for our way forward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.